1: Humbled and uh, thankful, most of all, for your Son, Jesus Christ, that uh, has afforded us the opportunity to uh, drink the water of uh, everlasting life, dear Lord. (coughs) Father, I I pray that if there is anyone in this auditorium this morning that does not know you or know your will, dear Lord, that you will uh, place it on their hearts, have them come and profess their love for Jesus Christ, and uh, let them enter into their life, dear Lord. He is the way, and he is the only way, dear Lord. Father, I pray that you be with Pastor Jeremy this morning as he has prepared a lesson. I I pray that you uh, have placed on his heart what you would like for him to portray to us this morning, dear Lord. I pray all these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Caleb and Brittany, for leading us this morning. scripture reading and prayer. I want to invite you congregation to turn in John 7 as we look at this text Brittany just read for us and as you're turning allow our kids children's church age to be dismissed to children's church now and what a blessing it was to have Josh and our youth praise team come up and lead us this morning and do such a fantastic job grateful for their service their willingness uh, to lead us and and singing, and even uh, through the offertory prayer. It was really neat to see that, grateful for them. I took about ten steps or so to get up here to the pulpit. None of you thought that's a really big deal. None of you applauded that. I understand that. We take steps every day. Think of the billions of human beings who have lived and have taken trillions of steps throughout human history. We take steps every day. Most of the 8 billion people on the planet will take some steps today. So, with no context, a statement from July 21st, 1969 should not be remarkable. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Yet, most everybody in here knows. That is a remarkable statement, but how can one tiny step among the trillions of steps taken by human beings be so remarkable? Of course, those words were spoken by Neil Armstrong when he took mankind's first steps anywhere besides planet Earth as he walked on the moon. The context provides the significance to his statement. Well, we come to what Brittany read for us this morning. Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Why is that significant? A soccer coach could say that to his players about a jug of Gatorade. A foreman could say that to his work crew about a water cooler. So what makes Jesus' statement so meaningful and of course it's the context it's who he is it's what he means by it but maybe we should ask why does Jesus use the metaphor of water here in John chapter 7 when we were in John chapter 6 previous chapter Jesus had fed 5,000 people with some bread and some fish and it was a Short step. There was a link there to Jesus saying he was the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And he was linking that with the bread that fed those people. So here in John 7, where's the link to water? Where where does Jesus connect that? And I think it's in the context. And I hope as we understand this situation that's going on here, we will grasp how significant Jesus is is in who he is and then also how should we respond to him so some of the we'll look at a couple of contexts to try to understand fully what jesus means here and one is just the biblical storyline two is the feast of booths that take that takes place here and jesus teaching is occurring so the spiritually thirsty should go to Jesus and nowhere else to have their spiritual thirst quenched. And the result is, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about water. We can go back to almost the very beginning In the Bible's first book, it's second chapter in Genesis chapter 2. And we find that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So here we are in the Bible's first book. You go to the Bible's last book, the Bible's last chapter in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So I think if a river existed in a pre-sin perfect world, and if a river exists in the new heaven and new earth, Clearly, waters are crucial. And here we see that it's connected to life. It is a water of life. Well, if we go to Ezekiel's prophecy, toward the end of his book, he talks about this end time river that will flow. In chapter 47, verse 9, And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. So I want you to see, when we talk about the big picture storyline of the Bible, these rivers are associated with life. Life comes through these moving waters. Now, there it is, physical life, but I think it's foreshadowing something else, spiritual life. So that's... Very briefly, big picture, storyline, what is, what is the emphasis on water? But let's recall where Jesus is. As we preach through John chapter 7, we said the context is the Feast of Booths. Now John slows us down a little bit here with his verbs. And I think he's doing show, so to show us there's something really important going on. So Jesus stood up. And cried out and then those statements that we've already heard this morning in the context of this great festival one of the three great festi- festivals that many Jewish males were supposed to come into Jerusalem for well this took place in about September October during harvest time now understand we're, we're separated by cultures Uh, From the celebration that took place there and we need to know what's going on at this feast So so I want you to dial in and hear what's taking place on each of the seven days of the feast There was a water pouring ceremony that took place Now, I think this is important in terms of what Jesus is going to say the high priest Remember there's there's one of those at a time in Israel, the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would fill up a big golden pitcher with water and he would carry it back to the temple. Remember, the temple is the place where, uh, where sacrifice happened. It's the, the center of Jewish religious life. So this, he would fill up this pitcher with water and he'd bring it back to the temple. And it's, it's this big ceremony that was going on. There would be a trumpet that would sound three times And there was a temple choir that would sing the Hallel Psalms. Now, those are Psalms 113 through 118. And when they got to chapter 118 of the Psalms, every male would shake what's called a a lulab. Now, we don't usually bring those in here, and I haven't seen anybody bring them. It's kind of a palm branch with myrtle and willow twigs in it, and that's meant to represent Israel on its stages of the wilderness wandering. And they would also bring in, uh, they would shake that with their right hand, and they would bring a piece of citrus in with their left hand. And then the men would corporately declare, give thanks to the Lord. And the water that the high priest brought in that pitcher would be poured out as an offering to God. So once you see, water is crucial. What's going on? Well, this is occurring at harvest time. And it's a way of giving thanks to God For the provision that year of rain, which would have brought the harvest. It was also a way to pray for rain to come. Now, tonight, we've got our fall festival, right? We're going to, or this afternoon, we've got our fall festival going on, and and Karen is really great at organizing. She does a tremendous job. We're going to be ready to go. But with even her gifts and administration, this year she had a little bit of a challenge. What was that challenge? She couldn't hardly find hay bales. Now some of you might know why. If you've been outside in Mississippi the last four or five months, you haven't got rained on very much, have you? We just haven't had a lot of rain. And in a drought, crops suffer. Well, so think about how we're dependent on rain for crops and even maybe more so the people at this time who didn't have the agricultural technology that we do, they are dependent on rain for a harvest. So in this festival of Booths, they are thanking God for the rain that he has given, and the piece of citrus is showing the harvest and giving God glory for it. Now, on the flip side, one of the consequences of failing to celebrate this festival was lacquerine. In Zechariah chapter 14, he speaks of this. He says, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. All right, so we're, we're in the context of this festival of Booths, John chapter 7, celebration of god bringing rain and a harvest praying also that god would bring rain the coming year but there's more i think the festival if we need to understand it rightly is also looking back so the festival is commemorating the time of the wilderness wandering for the israelites after they came out of egyptian slavery and before they go into the promised land so we're trying to bring some of these threads together into what Jesus is saying. But with the feast and this focus on physical water, there was also those who are looking ahead in that to the spiritual blessing that Messiah is going to bring. In fact, some rabbis saw a link between the water pouring ritual that took place each of the 7 days and the eventual pouring out of the spirit. So here's Jesus standing up, and he's teaching exactly that at this feast. So the feast lasted seven days, but there came into being a practice that on the eighth day, the really the day after the feast, but it became something where people would stay, and they would, they would just have a, a joyful celebration together. So Jesus, on the last day, the great day of the feast, which is probably the eighth day, declares these two verses. So think of the water offering seven straight days of that. And then on this eighth day, that is absent. They're not doing that. And in that gap, Jesus stands up and says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So he's saying, As the people are thinking about water through these seven, eight days, He's now the one who gives real water. He gives the water of salvation. He gives the water of the Spirit to those who believe in Him. He is giving life to people. Going back to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy... You will draw water from the wells of salvation. Clearly, Isaiah means more than just physical water. So now let's go back to this original context of the desert wandering by the people of Israel. Now think about this people who are desperate for water. So they come... They don't have houses then, right? They just came out of Egyptian slavery. They're they're in tents. And they're moving about in this wilderness. Every second, every second, those 40 years, they're dependent on God. If they're going to eat, they're dependent on God. If they are going to drink water, they are dependent on God. And they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. In the desert, there is real thirst. The theological dictionary of the New Testament defines thirst as to desire passionately a spiritual good without which one cannot live. So I want you to put your minds in those million, two million Israelites came out of Egyptian slavery and they're wandering around in the desert. That is real thirst. We're not talking about mild thirst. We're not talking about the four year old after his soccer game that's barely moved, didn't come close to breaking a sweat, but after the game, he needs a Gatorade, right? He needs that Gatorade. That, that's, that's not real thirst. That's not what we're talking about here. When the people are walking around the desert 40 years, they're thirsty. This is what the Feast of Booth in Jesus' day is looking back to and commemorating. In this desert where God miraculously provided water. So I want to take us back to Exodus 17. I want to read one of these instances where God miraculously provided. I want to read verses 1 through 6 for us. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord And camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock, with thirst So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so, In the sight of the elders of Israel. As we read that, you can hear the people's desperation for water. This isn't this four-year-old soccer player. This is adults saying, if we don't get water, we are dead. Now, I think it's easy for us to look back on that generation, maybe a little bit pridefully, and say, where's their faith? I mean, come on, guys. When were you genuinely without water? I'm talking no circle K around. Couldn't go down the grocery store aisles filled with drinks. We're talking two million people. No water source. And I can tell you if Jeremy Halffield there, he's probably grumbling. He's probably right there in the mix, mix, mix with them. Just where's the water? We're going to die. And We lived in uh, the Sonoran Desert, our family. There was a a great investment in junior golf there. I could pay for a tee time and take all three of my boys out and they got to play for free. So we would do that sometimes. Now, we were not a fast-moving group uh, when they were uh, younger especially. Um, And so what we would do is we would go in the summer and sometimes we would go in the afternoon the summer. Now, Most of the people that were playing in the summer were playing really early because it gets really, really hot in the desert. So we want to be out there where we weren't pushed by anybody, so we would be out there and there weren't very many people around because it is so hot. Well, one important piece of equipment, maybe more important than taking the golf clubs, is making sure that you take your water bottles and just really hoping that the staff there had put water in the coolers out on the course. That's one afternoon of golfing where we desperately needed water. Forty years, folks. Forty years walking around a desert. Those people were desperate for water. If God, in Exodus 17, does not provide water from the rock, it's not that they're just going to be a little parched. Are you with me here? These people are going to die. So one, they're desperate for water. Number two, they can't provide it for themselves. They are wholly dependent on God to live. And what does God do? He miraculously intervenes, gives them what they don't deserve, in His kindness gives them water and sustains them those 40 years. And this is so incredible that throughout the centuries, the Israelite people are looking back. In fact, one of our, our girls this morning read from Psalm 78. This is one of the Psalms. Looking back to that event, it says, he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. So again, they, the psalmist understands the desperation of those people. Water gives life Water from the rock, they live, go back to the Feast of Booths and Jesus' day, rain for the harvest means they're going to live. And I think it's an easy step. from that type of desperation and dependence on physical water for Jesus' original audience and for us to understand our desperation and dependence on Jesus, if we are going to live spiritually, it is because He came. He Provides the water of salvation. That's it. Just Him. So, no wonder as we try to tie these different threads together, Jesus on this day at this feast says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Church, I just want us to make sure we understand. For the spiritually thirsty, There is nowhere else to go to have your thirst quenched than Jesus Christ. But I also want us to understand this. For everyone who comes to Jesus, your spiritual thirst is quenched. And verse 38 is true. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We were desperately lost. Sinners against a holy God deserving His wrath and nothing else. We're desperate, right? We're going to face His judgment. That is desperation. We are going to spiritually be dying. If Jesus never came to earth to go to the cross, we'd be lost in our sins. And He still stands today the truth of john 7:37 for those who are thirsty they can come to him and drink and yet there are so many people today who are thirsty and maybe they don't recognize that it's a spiritual thirst they're trying to meet that thirst in a thousand different ways whether that be with achievement whether that be with money whether that be with popularity whether that be with fame are trying to quench a thirst that is spiritual with things that are not. And then we're told there, there's, there's, there's so many different ways to be good with whatever God is out there. This is the mantra in our culture that whatever you believe, just believe sincerely and you are fine. I mean, if we can relate this type of spiritual seeking in terms of drink even to even to the aisles at grocery stores and Walmart go in there today and find different types of sodas, juices, milk Powerade, Gatorade, Kool-Aid waters so to make the link spiritually if we're As a culture being told, there's a million ways to live. There's a million ways to quench that thirst. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Not go somewhere else, not have a different option. Jesus says, let him come to me. He is the only rock that gives the water of salvation to us. I don't want you to think I'm stretching that type of analogy too far. The Apostle Paul is saying the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10. We heard this already this morning, but I want you to hear it again. Paul is saying this, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, And all ate the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And hear what Paul says. And the rock was Christ. Isn't that amazing? That Paul ties that in. Jesus is the rock that brings us spiritual refreshment. That gives life. Today... In America, 2023, Jesus is the only rock that brings spiritual life. And if Jesus doesn't return for another 2,000 years, He will still be the only rock that provides spiritual life. And Jesus invites those who are on the way to certain death to come to Him for life. Well, how much do you have to pay I mean, if I get spiritual life, that's worth everything. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. Unless it's a gift of God, we will not receive it. So let's go back to that Isaiah 55 that we read earlier. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The water of salvation that Jesus provides is free to us. It was costly to him, took him to the cross, died for us, rose again, but now offers this by grace to us. If you come today and you're so spiritually thirsty, I can tell you there is an answer to your thirst. Come to Jesus and drink. Well, what does it mean about having rivers of living water in us well fortunately that's easy for us to interpret because john tells us what it is it's the spirit in verse 39 now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because jesus was not yet glorified now i don't want you to hear from that teaching from john that the spirit came into existence when Jesus sent him. That is is not true. The Spirit is God. He's an eternally Trinitarian God existing in three persons. So he's always existed. What we're understanding here is that the Spirit functions in a different way along the timeline of redemptive history specifically before and after Jesus' incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. One of the great promises of the new covenant is that the Spirit would indwell people. Now this is amazing. God the Spirit chooses to indwell people. And this was prophesied in the old covenant about what the new covenant would look like. Here's how Ezekiel said it. In chapter 36, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. So after Jesus' exaltation. And we see this happen at Pentecost. That the spirit comes on believers. And today, for every follower of Jesus. They are filled by the spirit. Well, how does that happen? John tells us. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when John talks about Jesus being glorified, he is meaning he's going to go to the cross, he's going to die for our sins, he's going to pay our sin debt, he's going to bear God's wrath, he's going to die, he'll resurrect, and he will go back to the Father. Now remember, I know we're in John chapter 7, we just read verses 37 and 39, but the preceding verses this morning, Jesus tells the people that he's going away, you'll seek me and you'll not find me. Where's Jesus going? Well, we said he's going to the cross, but he's ultimately going back to the Father. And When he does, he'll send the Spirit to indwell his people. All right, so we've got that in our mind. Later on in the Gospel of John, John 16, Jesus makes a statement that must be mind-boggling to his disciples in the moment. Now, these are disciples who have walked with him for three years. These are disciples who are going to be distraught when Jesus is crucified and they think it's over before He resurrects. So in this farewell discourse, this is Jesus' last teaching before He goes to the cross. And in this moment, He tells these disciples this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you so jesus is saying no this is better that i go because i'm going to send the spirit the helper to you so in his incarnation jesus could be in one place at one time when he sends the spirit the spirit does not have that limitation believer You have the Spirit with you. And the believer in India has the Spirit indwelling him. The believer in Afghanistan has the Spirit indwelling her. The believer in the Gaza Strip has the Spirit indwelling him. And I want you to hear from God's Word that every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit living in them. From Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. There's no such thing as a spiritless believer. There's no spirit-absent believers. So we can say that a synonym of being saved is being filled with the Spirit. So church, you're a never-forsaken people. Alright, so what does it mean Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And if Jesus fills us with the Spirit, why would Paul say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit? How can we have the indwelling of the Spirit, and then Paul say, be filled with the Spirit? Why is Paul commanding something if it's already happened? And again, I think this is just driving us back to our desperation for God. Our desperation daily. If we're going to live in a way that honors God, if we're going to obey God, if we are going to worship together, if we're going to have unity as a church, it comes through the Spirit filling us. We need the Spirit filling us day by day, believer. So Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you have had your spiritual thirst satisfied by coming to Jesus and drinking deeply, you have the Spirit indwelling you. What is the Spirit doing in you? Well, for one, it's assuring you that you are a child of God. Paul writes in Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So once it's assuring us that we belong to God. Number two, I shouldn't say it, He is assuring us. Number two. The Spirit is producing the character of Christ in us. call this the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the character of Christ being formed in us. If you're having trouble worshiping, ask God to fill you again with the Spirit. If you're having trouble with contentment, ask God again to fill you with the Spirit. If you're grumbling instead of grateful, ask God again to fill you with His Spirit. And then, think about what this does to a church. If the majority of people in this room are believers in Christ and following Jesus, then you have the Spirit in you, I have the Spirit in me. This should produce unity in the church. God unifies the church in Christ, He unifies us together through His Spirit. So, (coughs) excuse me, should you go to, it's October, we said this feast takes place in October, September, October, harvest, festival of Booth. Should you travel every year to Jerusalem to obey the festival of booze? My guess is you probably wouldn't have wanted to go this year. Couldn't go, dangerous, war going on. Are we disobedient in not going and keeping the festival of booths? Well, I did minister to some mistaken believers in another state who thought they were supposed to keep all the Jewish laws, including festivals like this. I want you to see that to follow Jesus is to celebrate the feast of booths in the right way. If Jesus fulfills the feast of booths and we're following Him, then we are worshiping Him the right way and obeying Him. So, what is Jesus doing here? We spent eight weeks in John six, thinking about what took place there. Jesus declared He's the bread of life. We already said that didn't. There's a link there. That doesn't take place in a vacuum. He fulfills the ultimate purpose of manna that took place in the wilderness. He is the fulfillment of it. Well, here he supplies spiritual water in a context of God's miraculous gift of physical water to the people. So believer, If you are celebrating rightly by believing in Jesus, if you belong to him, the spirit of God lives in you, then out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. So what does that look like for us? A river keeps moving, right? There's this continuous supply. Think about those, those 100, 105 degree days this summer. You went outside, you're like me, you're pouring sweat, you, you're hot. Many of you know the Hatfields carry water bottles around. I mean, we, we carry our water bottles around a lot. We're known for our 40 ounce water bottles the man a man has got 32 ounce and we barely let her in the house okay but even those 40 ounce water bottles they don't last that long maybe they're good for an afternoon but it goes pretty quick especially when it's really hot but think about a river a constantly flowing river is a game changer jesus is saying this is what we have in the spirit if he indwells us then the spirit is flowing so what should really happen is the spirit is overflowing the banks of our hearts and our lives and it's going over to others who need to know about jesus i've already mentioned our time in the desert let me close with an illustration again from there if you've been to the desert especially in may or june it's really brown one of the things that amazed us when we first moved to Mississippi was just the green. It's so green compared to the brown that we saw so often, day in, day out. There's, the things that live in Mississippi would not live in the desert. But there was a stretch in the town that we lived in where there, was, where there were trees and there was more greenery. And it almost stood out as to being out of place there. Well, what would make that happen? Well, the reason is the Santa Cruz River that ran through our area. The vegetation around that river got more water. It was greener. It was well, well, well watered. And, and listen, that, that wasn't even a river that overflowed. Most of the time you didn't even see it running. Maybe in monsoon it would run. They said a lot of that was underground. I don't know, but even around an underground river that you couldn't see the water in, there was more greenery, more lushness there. So now let's take this. To the rivers of living water that's flowing through us. We are surrounded by people who are spiritually dead so often. In our American culture, people that don't know Jesus, apart from him, there is no spiritual life, so there's spiritual deadness. And they're they're seeking to quench their thirst from so many things in this world, and it'll never it'll never quench it, it'll never satisfy. Believers, we have the gospel of life. Our neighbors, the nations. They need the people of God whose lives are overflowing with this good news about Jesus to come to them and say, There is something that will quench the thirst of your souls. There is the good news of a Savior who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, nothing for wrong he had done. He had done no wrong. He died for our sins, rose from the dead, exalted to heaven. If you put your faith to him, faith in him, you will live. Our neighbors and the nations, they need to hear that. Believer, you have a river of living water flowing in you. May that water overflow us and go to those who need to hear it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for quenching the thirst of so many souls in this room, through the gospel of Christ. And Lord, we recognize that there are lost family members, lost co-workers, lost friends, lost associates in our spheres of influence who desperately need the gospel, who are so spiritually thirsty, and they may not even know it, they may be trying to meet it with things of this world, but they need to hear, Lord, I pray that they would come to Jesus and drink. And Lord, if there be somebody here today or on Facebook or through the radio who has not yet come to Jesus Christ, God, today, may they see the truth and beauty of Jesus. And if anyone thirsts, let him come to Jesus and drink. In His name we pray. Amen.